Today on episode 18 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, I had the honor and privilege of chatting with Todd Campbell, Fight Master with Fight Directors Canada. He and I dove into some strategies on training actors to fight, not only in traditional stage combat, but also in historical styles. He explains the tiered training system of the FDC and how HEMA research benefits and augments the kind of fights we can do on stage. It's a great interview and I learned a lot. Give it a listen. Out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Greetings, David here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just joining the podcast for the first time, think of me as your personal violence design coach. I've been staging fights in Violence for Life Theater since 1992, and I want to encourage you to enter the world of stage combat, to coach you towards choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. I love talking with fellow artists and teachers because even after 25 years in the field, I never fail to learn something new. Today I have Todd Campbell on the show. Todd has been doing stage combat for over two decades himself and is a certified fight master with Fight Directors Canada. He's got amazing stage combat credentials. Just to cherry pick one example, he spent four years as the resident fight director at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival. It doesn't get much cooler than that. But Todd also comes to the craft as a student of historical European martial arts. He's trained in several styles and uses that to design fights with historical looks. But even more, his HEMA training has inspired him to create fights that not only tell the story of the play, but are also martially sound, which is a change from, honestly, many of the fights we see in the Hollywood style. Now, Todd was also the winner of the Violence Design Lab's Hotspur Challenge, which I'm sure is his most illustrious credit to date. (laughs) The challenge was to design the fight between Prince Hal and Hotspur in Shakespeare's Henry IV Part I, and Todd, he created a great sword and buckler piece inspired by the the, the 133 manuscript. It's still up on the website. Go to violencedesignlab.com and click on the resources link on the top menu bar and select Hotspur Challenge from the dropdown. But enough introduction. Let's get on to the interview. Hey, everyone. So I am on with Todd Campbell, Fight Master with Fight Directors Canada. Good to have you, Todd. Welcome. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. So obviously, you are familiar with uh, historical styles. I believe you use stuff from the I-33 Sword and Buckler for that particular challenge. What, mm-hmm. uh, what styles have you studied? Do you work with? I've played around with a few. I, I, I would not call myself a, a HEMA artist because I, I don't train on a regular basis. I never compete. I hate to spar. It's just not my thing. But I love to dabble because I, 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 I'm so inspired by what I see in the HEMA community. And I've been following them since, uh, since they began, like about 20 years ago when it's starting to get very popular. I've trained in some Capoferro. I've trained with several different people on the 133 manuscript. I've done a little bit of German longsword, a little bit of Italian longsword, a little bit of this and that, some Dussac, all sorts of stuff. Fight Directors Canada, I tend to think of them as sort of analogous to the Society of American Fight Directors, but I'm not that conversant with them. Do they have, like the SAFD does, a what you might call a standard uh, system of uh, across weapons? Like in the SAFD, small sword, rapier, broadsword, they all use a very similar system. Obviously, there are individual moves that are specific to each weapon, but they use sort of a standardized system. Does the FDC do the same? Well, 
Uh, for a long time, I would say yes, but that has changed. There's a lot of us within the FTC who are, who are very interested in historical uh, martial arts. I would say it all kind of came to a head uh, when I joined the, the organization uh, back in 2000, 2001. I was watching the work of one of our other fight masters, Simon Fawn, who was creating the Eastern martial arts curriculum. And uh, he was looking at all sorts of different Eastern unarmed martial arts and and pulling from here and there and finding ways to theatricalize them. And as I watched him work, I'm like, well, why can we do that with the martial arts of the East, but not with the martial arts of the West? It doesn't make any sense to me. And we're very free in how we allow people to to teach and to train. So if you want to teach something that's based on on Spanish rapier or Italian rapier or German longsword or English longsword or just good old-fashioned stage combat broadsword, that's totally fine with us because we see value in all of it. That's that's a great approach. I would really love to see more of that here as opposed to have our sort of standard stage combat style, if you can call it that, be a, one style among many because it has its uses. I'm soon about to uh, go out to Wisconsin to do a, a pirate festival that nice. is no more based on historical accuracy than, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. And yeah, that's a lot of just Hollywood sword swinging, not trying to be any kind of historical accuracy at all. Yeah. And that's fine. I love that kind of stuff too. Uh, so I, that's where I, that my push has always been just to see that as one style among many. Now, it is challenging, I think, to open the, the, the Pandora's box or the can of worms that is historical European fighting styles. Actors mm-hmm. have a very finite amount of time and often limited financial resources for classes and workshops. What do you see is perhaps the most economical way for an actor or the most advantageous way to train in order to be able to do a wide range of styles? I think the best way is to to work with teachers who teach you principles as opposed to techniques. I can teach someone a stage combat technique for uh, for a cut with a broadsword in the, in the old school way of doing things. But if I can teach you the reasons why it's safe and how it works theatrically, then you can take that principle and you can apply it to any martial art. So one of the things that I, I like about the system that we've created up here in Canada is that we really focus on the principles. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're learning Capo Ferro or if you're learning standard rapier and dagger or if you're learning Spanish, because the principles are the important things. The techniques are just things. They're just stuff. And that's what I try to encourage violence designers to do in general is stop looking at, well, here is the, the moves I know. Let me put them in this specific order. And so said design the fights they want to design. Because for stage combat, it comes down to either it's a swing and a miss, and there's that technology or that, that technique. There's a thrust that's supposed to hit or not or be blocked or a cut that's supposed to hit or be blocked. Beyond that, it's all sort of trappings, if you will, window dressings of ways to get there, I think. So I yeah. think that's a great, a great approach to that. One of the things that kind of helps us with that approach up here is that we have a tiered system. So we have a, a basic actor combatant, an intermediate, and an advanced. And at each uh, of those levels, there's a specific uh, disciplines that you're going to be taking. So our basic level is is single sword, which is really Hollywood swashbuckling, that, that good old-fashioned stage combat that we're all used to. And then we have quarterstaff and, and basic unarmed. In our intermediate level, we do Eastern unarmed, rapier and dagger, longsword, and small sword. We stopped calling it broadsword a while back, which I'm so thankful for. Thank you. <laughs> and then at our advanced level, we look at rapier and companion, which is often cape or case. 
sword and companion, which is often shield or buckler, eastern edged, which is uh, or eastern weapons rather, which is one edged weapon and at least one blunt weapon within the fight, found objects and uh, an advanced small sword. So because we teach people that foundation of of what I like to call industry standard theatrical sword, I can then, when I get them in the intermediate level and teach them rapier or longsword, I can spend a class or two teaching them the the industry standard version of that thing and then dive into Capo Ferro or dive into the Lichtenauer system as I understand it and go from there. So uh, so I think we're really lucky in that in that instance up here. More than luck, I think it's ingenious. And I, and I would love to see that uh, down here. Ours, of course, sort of grew out really from the 70s is where the SAFD started, you know, some mm-hmm. folks who were doing it. The, the frustration I run into down here is that a lot of these these fight masters, and you know some of them, like Ian Rose, oh, great yeah. guy, knows his historical stuff in and out. He certainly does. Yeah. But when it comes to the standardized workshops and classes, that stuff doesn't come in. And, and that does tend to be frustrating. Before we go on, I do have to note that uh, Ian Rose is also one of ours. He's one of our FMs. Right. <laughs> and he is... Um, he is great. He's one of my my mentors. He was one of the guys when I first started training was incorporating historical stuff within his classes that got me interested in going even further. So he and Dale Girard are are some of my yeah, of my mentors uh, from back in the day. And J.R. Beardsley, I remember J.R. Beardsley was teaching us a longsword class back in '97. This was just after the the Mark Rector. Uh, Tallhofer mm-hmm. book came out, and and he had it out, and he was showing us all the plates, and we were trying to figure it out. I mean, back in those days, it was really experimented because we all we had were the pictures. We really didn't know what any of the the text meant, right. so we were just trying to reverse engineer it with our stage combat knowledge, which was uh, not always successful. Do you think that because of the FDC's openness to uh, exploring more styles and more divergent styles, that there is more of those historical works getting on stage up there? That there is that that styles are hitting choreography. It's it's happening in very small places, right? So whenever I work, I try and slip it in whenever I can convince a director that it is the way to go. Or if I'm lucky enough to work with a director that just gives me carte blanche, which happens actually for me quite a, quite a bit, I sneak it in whenever possible, whenever it's appropriate for the show. But I, I would say that by and large, most of the theatrical community still hasn't woken up to historical combat. They still like the good old fashioned stage combat. It's easy for the actors to do. It doesn't take a lot of time to rehearse. I think the the big thing with building fights that are more historically accurate is that it does take more time because it's more specific in the same way as when you rehearse your scene, uh, you could just gloss over the scene and say, sure, in the scene, I'm angry. So I'm just going to play the whole thing angry, but there's no nuance in that. And as, as, as an audience member, we don't want that anymore. We don't want a, a very trite viewing of, of the scene. And I think it's changing with fight, right? Because we're seeing more fights coming, especially coming out of the East that are more specific and more dynamic and, and have very specific stories and are not just about what I like to call the, the emotional intent. My, my big complaint about a lot of, of fights that I see in North America and in England is that uh, it seems to be more about the emotional intent of, of the, the character as opposed to the martial intent. So the moves are just a conduit for me to emote, for me to play angry or to play scared. 
as opposed to I'm trying to do a very specific physical intention. And as that either succeeds or does not, that affects my emotional state. It's challenging because we have to reteach the theater community that what we do is just as intricate and just as specific as the rest of the things they do within the play. Right. That stage combat is merely acting by another means to, yeah. to bastardize, you know, Klaus with. Because we have all those HEMA scholars out there that are doing the hard, back-breaking, you know, work for us, and we can kind of reap the benefits. I mean, I myself am not what I wouldn't consider a HEMA artist, but I just love getting the benefit of this stuff. And especially with the YouTube videos, I can watch people. Oh, my God, yeah. And you go, oh, look at that. How cool. There's but, so uh, much resources for us on YouTube. Like, there's no, there's no reason why a fight director can't do this work, right? Uh, I, I think the big fear is that by acknowledging uh, HEMA as being applicable to, to theatrical work, that it kind of takes away the validity of good old-fashioned stage combat. And I don't think there will ever not be a time when we need that, that, that basis, right? Like there's going to be shows you work on where HEMA doesn't make sense or, or you, you don't have the performers who can, who can do it. And so you need to have that, that really super safe, super simple stage combat that you can utilize that can still be exciting and dynamic and wonderful. I don't think we need to throw out the baby with the bathwater uh, or anything like that. Do you think that if we start this in theater and get more of this in theater, do you think it will, I don't know, sort of make its way more into modern film? I know it's much more challenging with film. There's a lot more layers of production teams and everything from editing to directing and producing and all that. Do you think it will eventually make its way up there? I think it's the reverse. I think the more we see it in film, the more it will change what we see in theater. Uh, And I think uh, we're starting to see that there's little glimpses and unfortunately it's not done really well right now. Like there was a, there was a fight in, in one of the first few seasons of game of Thrones where I'm looking at going, Oh, I know what they were trying to do. It didn't look like what they wanted at all because they were way too close and the, like the measure was off and the, and that way it, it made all the techniques a little muddled, but but you can see it in, I think it was the second uh, Narnia film, the uh, Prince Caspian. There's a fight between the youngest boy, I believe it's Peter, and a dwarf. And they're doing historical longsword. It's fantastic. And so I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that. And then that will infuse its way into, into theater. Uh, I think theater is going to be the holdout because it's so easy for us just to do good old fashioned stage combat. It doesn't take a lot of time. The actors feel like superstars without a lot of rehearsal. It's just, yeah. And I think there is a, a confirmation bias that we have when we look at our stuff, go, Oh, it's, it's working. That's what the audiences want to see. We have no data for that. And in fact, (laughs) theater is not a hard science like that anyway, but we feel, oh, if we do these other complex things, if we do Lichtenauer, they're not going to understand the martial intent. And so that gives us an excuse to ignore it and move on. But I think that audiences may not be able to articulate all of what's happening on a martial level, but they will understand that something is happening, that I have a plan and you have a plan. And when they crash together, that's what's making the choreography rather than us doing something cooperatively. Yeah, when I when I talk to my students, I often will make a correlation between uh, the the work we're trying to do infusing HEMA into stage combat with a a procedural drama, like a cop show or a doctor show. Like when you watch House, you have no idea what he's talking about when he's talking about all these rare diseases, but you know when 
he wants to run a, a test because he really thinks this person has this, this disease and when he's running a test just to kill time because the actor knows. So it doesn't matter if the audience understands the martial intent. If the actor understands the martial intent, the audience will understand the martial intent. And one of the problems I have with good old-fashioned stage combat is most of the time there is no martial intent. It is mm-hmm. just a series of movements designed to allow you to emote, allow you to scream and say, die, 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 die. We need to, as, as violence designers and choreographers, we also we have a burden if we are going to be doing historical styles. We need to make it as accessible to actors as the standard stage combat is. Standard stage combat has a wonderfully simple system. You know, here's parry three, four, five. This is a head cut. Okay, great. When we start getting into HEMA styles, we love our jargon, of course. And so now, of course, we can't simply parry. Now we'll have to displace, or we're going to have to ward. And, of course, then we start throwing French and German and Italian at them. And these actors, their eyes just kind of go, <laughs> And I think it will help us. The burden is on us to not have our pet names. And it's okay to call, you know, a mandrito fendente. You can call it just a cut upright to down left and the actor goes oh okay i get that you know? yeah yeah so i think that is another challenge that we need to address yeah i mean i'm kind of fortunate up here when we do our our training and our certifications there is a written uh, portion to our uh, certification oh. exams and uh, a few years back we talked about including italian rapier terms and german longsword terms into our main glossary and i was dead set against it because i did not want to dictate to any teacher how they should teach so right. what we agreed on and what i do uh, with all of my classes is i have a glossary that i give them when they come to class and then i focus on the terms that are going to help them different differentiate a basic sword or the generic style of hollywood sword from what we're doing uh, with Capo Ferro or with Lichtenauer. So I, I kind of do uh, <laughs> have all my pet terms and, and, and play with them, but that's within the classroom setting. If I go off and I work on a show, I don't bother with any of that. I, I use it in, in very simple terms so people don't get their heads caught up in what is a Mendrito Fendetti, what is uh, a Cavazione. I don't understand. Right. Right. No, I think that's exactly right. And there is a yeah. difference, I think, between a classroom setting and uh show setting because shows you don't have time like i i can teach you all the theory behind the technique in class for the show i need you to do it safely get the illusion right and tell the Mm -hmm. right story and beyond that i don't have time yeah although i i do whenever i do a show I, i run a class and i talk a lot about the theory behind what the movements are because I think it's really important that the actor understands what they're doing moment to moment. If they don't, that's when the fight just starts to look like choreography. And then, uh, and then oftentimes that's when the actor or the director will be like, well, why are we spending so much time on this when we could have just done the easier stuff? Right. Mm -hmm. So fight plans, not moves. So the actor has to know what they are planning to do. And that will often get frustrated or, you know, blocked or turned or something or stopped in the middle by somebody else attacking you. But if you don't know what your move is that you're planning to do, then you're just moving cooperatively and we're just doing this little dance thing. Yeah. It is a challenge, as we said, you know, to do historical styles on stage. And yet this can be done. Do you think that we need 
to develop full stage combat systems for each each master, if you will, and sort of specialize that much? How far down the rabbit hole do we go? I, I think that would take all of us in the stage combat community the rest of our lives to do <laughs> realistically. No, I think, again, it comes back to principles. There are a lot of principles that we see coming up again and again within the historical martial arts. Uh, some of these are content- contentious within the HEMA community, like the idea of uh, Silver's idea of true and false time. Uh, I teach that as a core concept. And I know there's some talk right now within the HEMA community of that, well, maybe that doesn't really apply to stuff that's before Silver. And some people say, no, it totally does. But uh, for me, it, it really solved a great problem in, in terms of what I was seeing actors do and and using this and, and also linking it back to history kind of validates it so it's no mm-hmm. longer just something i'm giving them that's a note that maybe i don't know what the hell i'm talking about now it's a really specific thing that they can go oh, well this is how it was done back in the day and it, it helps them i don't know just get really get into it get into the technique i found that true as well it's it's very similar to doing a shakespeare piece you can obviously have a basic understanding of what the lines mean and you can do a scene that way but of course sure. We can also go way down and drill down into the verse and the scansion and how the actual folio is laid out and then pull dramaturgy and everything of the period to just deepen the understanding even more. And I think the same is true of stage combat. We can we can bang swords together, yeah. you know, and, and have a fight that tells a story. Yes, okay, Hotspur died, but I just love how much more you can reveal about the character by how they fight. Totally. Totally. I think one of the challenges, though, for us, uh, because there's there's a number of us now. I mean, I, I, I for the longest time, I felt I was the only guy doing this and I was banging my head against the wall. And I, yes. I would I hit those pitfalls where the students aren't really getting it or the actors aren't really getting it. And you're like, you know, why am I doing this? I could just do old stage combat and it would be fine. It would make my life a lot easier. But I wouldn't be inspired. I, I wouldn't be an artist then. But I, th- I think the danger is that we get too caught up in that that we can't then go, you know what? What you guys do is great. Um, you know, no one's saying that uh, uh, being a fight director who only does the same type of fight is bad. Those right. guys work. They work a lot, yeah. right? I just know as an artist, I need to do this because it, it inspires me. Every time I watch, I, I spend so much of my day watching YouTube videos on, on various HEMA clubs and HEMA groups, and it, it inspires me so that when I go off and right. I teach a class, I'm stealing from all of them. I'm stealing from the best, right? And there's so much resource we have now. It's just amazing. It is. And I'll be honest, there was a time I had a, a crisis of confidence. I'd been designing fights for 15 years, over you know, 100 shows under my belt. When I brought up against the fact of how little I knew about HEMA and historical styles, I was like, I don't even know if I can teach rape here anymore. I, it's not, you know, I, I literally it was like, I, I don't know anything. And that's good. I mean, it's always good to recognize your limitations, but that can be paralyzing and it can be, you know, so daunting that people just, you know, put up the blinders and go the other way. Mm-hmm. But I hope my, my goal is to to connect a lot of us that are out there doing this, that we're not just, you know, a single voice in the wilderness. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that for me, once I know that this kind of truth of fighting is there, I can't ignore it. And yeah. And I, I think the big thing for people, uh, for younger fight directors or even for older fight directors who are thinking maybe I want to delve into this is just to cut yourself a lot of slack. Like uh, the my 
interpretation for theater of Capo Ferro, I, I'm very happy with now. I, I've been developing it over the last 10, 12 years, and it's, it's where I think it should be. But it wasn't always the case. It's changed. Every single year, I've changed what I'm doing. And it started off with just very simple stuff. I'm just going to use the names of the Guardias and, and bring those into my play. And then you know start off in a Capo Ferro look and then do traditional stage combat and then end in a Capo Ferro look at the end of a section. So, right. um, But that development is important. And, and so you shouldn't be daunted by the fact that you're not going to do it exactly like a HEMA artist. We're not going to do it exactly like a human artist. We're never going to do it like human artists. It's going to be uh, a similar, uh, but it'll never be exactly the same. I like to describe what I do as historically inspired stage combat. Right. Or I, I sometimes call it visually accurate yeah. <laughs> historical. <laughs> you know, so it looks, you know, to the, to the outside eye, it looks like it. But, it, of course, we're doing many different things. Because you're a theater professional, what advice would you give someone who is a HEMA artist who is thinking about porting their skill and starting uh, to look at theater. I know a lot of uh, HEMA people who get contacted by various local high schools or whatever. Well, you guys do swords. Can you uh, do our Henry V? What, would you, uh, what advice would you give to, to those folks? Uh, go and get some stage combat training. Uh, get some stage combat training in that industry standard and walk into it with a completely clean slate. Think of it mm-hmm. as a brand new martial art. It is, it is nothing, even though it's, it might use the same weapon you're used to, it is nothing like the weapon you're used to. And then once you've learned that, I, hopefully you've worked with someone who's going to focus on principles instead of techniques. So you can then take those, tech, uh, those principles and apply them to your art and try and find ways of theatricalizing your art. Like there's many things like in Capo Ferro, for instance, almost every counter in Capo Ferro is some manner of stab to the face. And mm-hmm. we just we can't do that as theater artists. Right. And and in in single time. So mm-hmm. my parry and my counterattack are in the same action, which is very, very challenging for us on stage. So what I do is I change it to a parry instead of uh, uh, instead of a counter with an attack back. So I I move it into a, a parry repost, a Dewey Tempe system, right. uh, while maintaining the shape and the look and the feel of Capo Ferro. So if a, if a Capo Ferro artist came and watched my fight, they'd go, "Well, you're not doing any any single time attacks. That's not really Capo Ferro." And they'd be right. But if you opened up the book and you looked at the book and looked at my fight, you go, "Well, it kind of looks the same." It's the same shape. Right. And and there's just so much to be mined that way. I mean, in fact, Capo Ferro, with his plates, he gives, well, if he does this, then you can counter this way. And you, he, I look at the plates and I go, you, you've choreographed a few moves for me here. You, I've got three moves just choreographed for me. Great. I steal from Capo Ferro so often it's criminal. It's absolutely yeah. criminal. I've found going into HEMA clubs and, and training where I have that they're very welcoming uh, to stage combat people, which at first I honestly I thought, well, they're going to go. You're just one of those fakers who does doesn't you know who does swish and bang and and doesn't play. But I've across the board found them completely welcoming and and eager to teach and and of course you do have to have that same attitude. You have to go in with the attitude to learn. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we will be the same way uh, as stage combatants if a HEMA person uh, joins our. Well, joins and, our classes. And for the HEMA person, it just realize it's going to be challenging. 
your, your, your muscle memory is going to want to kick in. When I first started training with some HEMA, um, the first thing I did was a, a sword and buckler uh, class mm-hmm. in 133 with Stephen Hand just before his, his interpretation of the 133 uh, uh, book came out uh, from Chivalry Arms. And he, he would make fun of me in class because I would never hit anyone. Every time we were trying to do a play and I'd have to hit someone in the head or stab them in the face, I would just go a little off to the side or stop just a little before or cut just over their head and because uh, my stage combat kept kicking in. And at one point, right. my, my sparring partner said, you know, you, you, you have to hit me because if you don't, I, I won't know how to make this work. And it's, right. it's going to be just as challenging for a HEMA person coming over from the other side. But again, try and uh, come in with a blank slate and learn all you can because then you can take that martial art and you can apply it to your martial art. And, and stage combat really is a martial art. It's a performer's martial art, uh, just with a different set of values. I just, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there a place where if people can find you, whether you know, bricks and mortar or on the web, where's a good place to get in touch with you? Well, I do most of my training out of uh, Rapier Wit Studios. So rapierwit.ca, um, or is it calm? Ooh, Dan's going to hate me. Uh, it's Dan <laughs> Levinson's studio in Toronto. Um, it's Rapier Wit. You can find us online. We offer classes on an ongoing basis. Uh, we have pages on Facebook uh, that you can sign up for, and it'll let you know what open classes we have coming up and then what uh, long format classes we have. Um, so that's probably the best place to to find me. You can also find more about uh, Fight Directors Canada at uh, uh, the Academy of, of Fight, Directors Canada, uh, Fight Directors Canada, which you can find on Google. FTC.ca. It sounds like that's a great organization that I, I really need to get up there sometime and, and play with you guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, all right. Well, thanks again for this. I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, David. Thanks again to Todd for coming on to the show. And to clarify, the web address to get in touch with him is rapierwit.com. And if you happen to live near Toronto, Ontario, you might be lucky enough to get into one of his classes. Now, if you've found this podcast useful, please let others know about it, share it on Facebook, and then head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show and leave a review on the podcast page. I'd really appreciate it. If you want to go the extra mile to support me, go to patreon.com slash violencedesignlab and pledge a few dollars a month to keep the show going. Each level of support has its rewards, like uh, transcripts of the regular episodes and full uncut video footage of my interview episodes like this one. This podcast is entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listeners. You'll notice there's no ads or corporate sponsorship. And thanks in advance for your support. It really means a lot to me. So until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com. 